Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined every four months by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? This is a great third week in, in July. I guess this is a, a good month to be a Bearcat fan. Indeed it is. It's always a great month, a great day, a great week to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. And it's probably best that we first address the elephant in the room. Uh, I think I, I said four months. It's been much closer to three. Uh, but we, Hummer, we have not recorded a podcast since May 2nd. Let me take you back in time. It's like a time capsule now. It was, it was the fourth episode of the fourth season of our podcast. It was titled Best Week Ever. Nine Cincinnati Bearcats had just been drafted in the NFL draft. That's what just happened. Like the I NFL draft. Really, this episode should really be like a where are they now podcast. Like let's follow the draft picks. Let's see where they're at. Let's see how far they've developed. Most of these guys have signed their second deal. They, they've gone through their rookie contracts and they've now re-upped with their organizations and gotten and cashed in on that second contract. Um, also, Rayvon Griffith, I think, had just committed to the Cincinnati Bearcats, which was extremely exciting. And so, honestly, the, the real excuse, we've had a lot of people reach out to us. Are you guys okay? Like doing wellness checks. We've been getting wellness checks from people who listen to the podcast to make sure that we didn't die we didn't, you know, contract a rare, you know, monkeypox-esque disease and kick the can. Um, appreciate all the, the check-ins. Every, both of us are doing fine. We don't have great excuses for such a long hiatus, especially without explaining it. But we are going to work our way back into the, to, into the flow of things here as we rapidly approach football season and rapidly approach Wes Miller's second season as the head, head Bearcats basketball coach. Look, I think we have a great excuse. All right. The greatest of excuses. We work hard. All right. We do this podcast. We're dedicated in season, you know, week, sometimes two times a week while working full time. And then every once in a while, you know what? We're the owners of this podcast. We write our own vacation policy. All right. We took a two, three month vacation. So sue me. So sue me. <laughs> Fair explanation. But, uh, I, you know, I like to, I like to be, uh, make it seem like, you know, I, I, I'm hard on myself, Hummer. I'm hard on myself. I feel bad for what we did to the audience. I appreciate any audience that is remaining, but if we have to build it from the ground up, we're going to build it with the ground from the ground up. Um, I actually thought a couple of weeks ago, it popped in my head. You know what? The basketball tournament and the nasty, nasty, natty franchise would be a great reason to sort of get back on the mic, record some new episodes Talk about the team. There's there's a lot of big names on the roster. Jaron Cumberland, uh, Jaron Cumberland, Troy Copain, Octavius Ellis, Corianti DeBerry, lots of familiar faces. Shaq Thomas is on the roster. Kevin uh, Kevin Johnson did an incredible job building it. It was really exciting, and I thought TBT they're going to play this kind of fan fest game against Xavier, the zip them up team which is still just hilarious. It's, it's hilarious to be called zip them up when you're rolling, you know, the types of players they had on the court. It was just amazing. But anyway, 
their appearance in the basketball tournament was unfortunately short-lived and they ran up against the juggernaut Fort Wayne franchise and quickly exited the tournament. It was fun to watch them, but uh, it sort of thwarted our, our uh, plans to build the podcast around the nasty natty. Well, look, I want to, I want to stick to tradition here. You know, I like looking at the box scores of, of, of basketball events, kind of breaking down what went wrong in the numbers. All right. And I'm going to give you the, the hardest stat, the hardest hitting stat you've ever, ever seen in a box score. All right. So it's, it's just, look, Centos center. It had like 15 blocks, you know, six defense. It had like 12 defense. It out rebounded the Bearcats. Look, has there ever been a basketball squad who actually plays good at Centos or on Centos's court? Cincinnati Bearcats basketball squad. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's written into the law. Uh, the basketball gods have determined that no Bearcats shall ever play well in that arena. And frankly, that's the best analysis I've heard yet, which is we played at the wrong location. We never stood a chance. And frankly, the minute we knew that our games were being played at that hellhole, at the Sintas Center, um, it was over for us. And that's, that's probably what happened. The sent ass center. It's disappointing. Look, I went to FanFest, had a lovely time. It was a great event. Um, the roster was extremely fun to root for. And I remember I looked over at my dad and uncle who were there, who were there with me and said, this team's got a chance. I can't, I can't fathom, you know, a different, uh, a, there being many better basketball teams in the basketball tournament than, than a roster that's, you know, led by Troy Copain and Jaron Cumberland and Shaq Thomas. And maybe it's going to have Isaiah Miller, who's in the G League. Uh, Octavius Ellis, Corianti DeBerry looks unstoppable against the likes of Kareem Cantor and Trayvon Blewett. And, oh, God damn it, I'm blanking on this guy's name, but he's got an incredible, he, he's, he's just blown up. And, he, and it, he doesn't look like a basketball player anymore, but he looked like the kind of big men that existed when the Devereaux Summer League was played. These are like old school, six, five former guards turned, you know, Robert Tractor Trailer post player come Devereaux Summer League. That's what this guy looked like. Um, Corianti DeBerry looked untouchable against those guys. And so I was able to sort of envision a, a gargantuous run, a mega run to the championship game. And then, you know, it came up short. I do think they're on to something. I hope they can get a lot of these guys to come back next year. Trey Scott would have made a huge difference. Your boy, Trey Scott would have made a huge difference. No doubt. Um, this would have been <laughs> no contest, you know, maybe pulling some more shooting, you know, see can if, we get some uh, Gary Clark is, is Gary Clark. By, is, by, he's, he's still on an NBA roster, but still on know, NBA that, roster. that might change in the next couple of years. Uh, but pull in some more shooting, you know, get a get a Javen Cumberland on board, someone to, to spread the court for you, someone to be able to uh, provide a little bit more of a threat from downtown. But it's a very good start by Kevin Johnson. Results be damned. That roster was fun. I would go to see them play again next year, and I hope he's able to replicate that type of roster building next season and beyond. Well, well done, Centos Center, in defeating the Nasty Natty. I don't have any more capacity to discuss anything that has to do with, uh, with, with the Centos center. Other than that, we did have an NIL event there. 
as well? We did. And it's probably, it's probably best that I give you my, my uh, very surface level observations about what I saw from the Bearcats basketball team at that fan fest event, noting that it is just a fan fest event that it is put on for the fans, that it is not a practice. It is not a game. It is not something that we really should take very seriously at all, but I'm going to draw, but you're going to, I'm I'm going to come to extreme conclusions and offer very strong opinions about what I'm seeing from this basketball team based on that fan fest event. And you should take them very seriously. And you should know that, um, a lot of these will end up being very accurate for our future. First things first, we didn't get to see our young guys play. So I only got to see Sage Tolentino warm up with some three point jumpers with some dunks. Uh, same thing for Daniel skilling, same things for Josh Reed. Um, same thing for even Landers Nolly, who we have seen more because of his time at Memphis. I love the look of all three freshmen. I'm starting there. I'm starting on a positive Reed and skillings look like the type of length that we so desperately needed last year on the perimeter. They look long. They look athletic. They move well. I don't know shooting percentages because again, we played no real basketball here, but in terms of look, in terms of eye test, I'm loving what I'm seeing from those two and Sage Tolentino carries himself exceptionally well for a seven footer. I'll admit it. I'm someone who has zero expectations for Sage Tolentino in year one. He is not someone that I could see getting on the court. I thought he would be a long-term project in the likes of Biggie McLean, which means that it could go well, or it could go horribly. So you're hoping for a taco fall level (laughs) of let's go good taco fall. That's a good, that's a good comp, right? He's not as big as taco fall, but the way that Sage Tolentino can move, he doesn't look clumsy. He doesn't look awkward. He doesn't look like someone who grew too quickly and isn't going to be able to figure it out physically with the seven foot frame. That's my observation on Sage Tolentino. If you look at the still images that the monster factory releases, Sage Tolentino would, would, as Bob Huggins say, look good in the airport. And he's, he's going to be someone that could grow into a real presence in the post uh, defensively and maybe even offensively for the Bearcats. So that's my, that's another observation from FanFest. 20 years later, and we're still able to quote Bob Huggins. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's why people tune in, dude. That's why people tune in. Then we get to the fun stuff, Hummer. Here's, here's the events that we had. Here's the events we got to experience. We got to experience that um, the game where you make a layup, one player makes a layup, one pair, player makes a free throw, one player makes a three-point shot, and then the whole team shoots um, half-court shots. And you're basically getting timed to see how fast your team would perform this trick. Xavier players were doing this and UC players were doing this. They were not competing directly because that would violate NCAA rules, rules which we I can't understand why they even exist anymore. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. E- All right, we'll, we'll get to that discussion. We'll get, the NCAA. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll get, get to the NCAA later. Um, one observation. <laughs> the Every- NCAA has rules. All right, come on, come on. Penny Hardaway's still a coach, right? He didn't get he didn't get let go yet, right? Sean yeah. Miller. Sean Miller's still, still a coach. A coach. <laughs> Sean Miller's still a coach. Sean Miller's not in the not in the penitentiary. Um, 
first observation, every Bearcat fan that got a chance to uh, shoot free throws, shoot a layup, whatever the case may be, we were, we were terrible. We got to get better Bearcat fans uh, out there for opportunities to, to let that thing fly. It was rough. However, a few observations from these games, Jared Hensley made his first attempt from half court. That was pretty cool. Otherwise, you know, I think he went one of two at the free throw line. Micah Adams Woods. I wish I could tell you that he has a drastically improved jump shot, but after watching him in that competition and watching him in the three point competition, I can tell you that we're going to see low thirties percentages at best from Mike Adams Woods. He's not, he's still not a great shooter, unfortunately. Um, in fact, a lot of the Bearcats, I don't I, shooting is something we're going to be asking questions about, right? Um, I'm coming to the conclusion that our team is still probably not a great shooting team during the 2022, 2023 season. We'll see. We'll get into it further as we get to see more uh, preseason games, hear more you know, rumors out of practice, whatever the case may be. Um, shooting will be at a premium. Jeremiah Davenport can shoot, has a nice stroke. Landers Nolly looks like he can shoot, has a nice stroke. And then we'll see what happens with skillings. I think skillings could end up being a knockdown guy as well. Other observations. Rob Finnessy, not a shooter. No, not, not a shooter. Not a shooter. You're calling, you're calling it right now. Yeah. I mean, I think the okay. stats are, I think the stats were already in, in my favor for that call. And I would say that, you know, watching him take a couple three pointers during the uh, layup free throw three point competition, not a shooter, not a shooter. So I think it's definitely a little early to call this because we haven't, you know, that we haven't really gotten to practices or anything yet on this roster. Who is your, what, what's, what's, what's the right word here? Underrated player, player not on the radar, who you think is going to, to, to rise above their station and, and make an impact on this roster. Remember, it's what you say it's, is 100% true based off all your observations at FanFest. I think the guy that might be the most anonymous on the team would be Kalu Azikbe, where he, he transferred in from Old Dominion. And I would just say that probably most of the fan base, <clears throat> when they saw him on the court, they saw him and probably said, who's that guy? I, I, I have no idea who he is. He's an imposing 6'8", physically imposing. Looks like the kind of big that Bearcat fans are accustomed to. And I came away, that was one observation I came away thinking. At, at 240, he must be pretty dense too, right? Yeah, he's very dense. Like this is, this is a you know classic 6'8", power forward type player that I think is going to rebound very well for the Bearcats. I'm not, he's not going to be the type of shot blocker that Hayden Kova was. He's not going to be the type of shot blocker that even Abdullah do were. Those guys were two of the best shot blockers in the history of college basketball. What they weren't though, were great rebounders. And it was an area that we needed tons of help in. And I do think that Kalu could be a help in that capacity and is going to have a big role in this team, especially when you consider that the only other, you know, reliable front court players that we have on the roster that aren't also like a hybrid, you know, wing type four, like Jeremiah uh, Davenport are Odio Guama and Victor Lockin, two guys who struggle with foul trouble. So I do, I do expect Ezekiel to be the guy who kind of comes in, surprises people in terms of how big of a role he has on this team from the get-go. I mean, I think based off what we saw last year, I think that guy's going to actually be one of the guys you just mentioned, which is Victor, Victor Lockin. 
uh, you know, a year of maturity, full year of maturity under his belt, you know, hopefully, hopefully a full year of, of not having any kind of like lingering injuries, you know, hampering, hampering him and just being able to see him kind of, you know, go off a little bit, let some, let some of the big man energy out, uh, be able to see some of the tools that he actually has. Cause we know, we know he can do a lot. We know big- there's, there's a skill set. He has, oh. he has a, he has a lot of, a lot of skills. Yeah. And, and this podcast will continue to be, you know, your, your premier big Vic Locken stand, stand account. I mean, this, I believe in Vic Locken it to me last year, it was very obviously not a talent problem. It was a physical problem. It was not being able to control the ball in traffic. It was being pushed off his spots. It was being a bit overzealous and, you know, too revved up at times. Um, where that, and that's to me where sometimes we led to foul trouble, but he was able to block shots. He was able to rebound. He had an incredibly efficient rebounding rate. And we saw flashes of, of very exciting play offensively on the blocks. It's a matter of, did he get physically stronger in the off season? And did he, you know, hone his craft a bit more? Is he a bit more prepared for American athletic basketball next season? And I hope those I'd things say, I'd are say true. Mature. I'd say maturity, maturity on the court would be, would be the word, the word I'm looking for to see how he grew this year. If he's, you know, just a little, you know, what sometimes they say when you get into the college game coming from high school, when you're a freshman, you get to catch up to the speed of the game. I think Victor had a little bit of, of that kind of moment where he, the game's a little, was a little too fast. So hopefully this year it's a little more mature able to slow the game or, or catch up to it in this case and, and really shine. It's a perfect way to put it. Couldn't say it better myself. He was not at fan fest. I think there's rules about foreign board and players playing. Once again, types of things. Don't know I why. could be wrong. Don't there, know might why. Be, there might be news out there. I've been off the grid, so I don't know, but he wasn't there. Uh, but he also wasn't at the fan fest event last season either. So I, I think that you could maybe do the math on that. Well, I mean, while we're talking about, all right, so NCAA rules, they shouldn't exist. We all know that. And especially now that we're in a power five, soon to be probably the power four conference, right? Rules shouldn't exist. Get rid of them. All right. I'm, all, I'm here for it now. We're in, the, we're in the dance. We're in the game. Shove them out. All right. <laughs> there, are, there are no longer rules. It does not matter how many players you have on a roster, how much you pay them. Uh, when you're out recruiting, whatever the case may be, do you do as you please? New rules. Hundred percent. Well, is it too? It's way too soon for this, but so you're feeling. But you're feeling good. You're feeling good about what what you're seeing. Are you feeling better about this team this year versus going into the season last year? The only question going into the season is Wes Miller's ability to extract the most out of this team. Can he get this collection of players to play top flight defense from start to finish? Can he get them to finish games? Can he get them to be a more cohesive offense that isn't reliant on Jeremiah Davenport chucking up 28 foot shots and calling them good shots, right? We need to see more discipline. We need to see better defensive execution. And if we see those things, we should, we could be better than last season results wise. There's no reason we can't be. Um, so to me, the, the biggest question mark going into the season is just Wes Miller's ability to get more out of the team. Fire coming, coming straight out of the gate, coming right after Wes. Be like, Wes, I need to see it. I need to see it, buddy. <laughs> I mean, after we're, after, build, after we're building fixed to fix statues out there, all right? Big, big fix statues. 
but uh, Wes Miller, you got some work to do. <laughs> it's going to take us some time to get our mojo back on the podcast. I can already feel this is more choppy than it used to be. You know, we've. I don't want to make this sound like a greatest. Yeah, we haven't got to meet here. That's that's why we're. It's because we're delaying getting into what it is that we really want to talk about. And I'm just going to stop sugarcoating it, people. The biggest thing that's happened is the most awesome slash ridiculous thing in sports, and that's the fact that USC and UCLA will be traveling by plane. I think the shortest flight they have will probably be three hours. Like the Big Ten, Ohio State fans are going to have to get up and watch a game at like 9 a.m. That sounds miserable. Like, yeah, you guys can't see it. I got the little Italian, you know, like, hey, hey, hey. He's just, a lot of gesticulating going on behind the scenes. Here. Basically, we had a, a major kind of shaking of the foundation of college sports, if you if you would. The Pangea is officially like it's already been been splitting at the scenes, but now the continents are starting to actually take shape of what college sports are going to look like in the upcoming future, right? Like, so we're listening, and you you sent this one to me, John Skipper, the former ESPN executive. He pops on Levitard constantly to talk about this. I think he's a producer of their podcast. No, he's, he was, he, he's not the producer. He is the, he's not the producer. He's the CEO of, of metal Arc media of the company. Same thing. He's a, same thing. <laughs> same thing. Doesn't matter either way. He's, 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 he's cutting he, it. He's cutting and editing pods. At yeah. He's cutting, he's cutting any pods. Either way, he has a hand in, in hand in, in that, in that media, either way he's on the show, but what he's famous for is engineering the breakup of the big East at it with his time when he was at ESPN, right? And he's kind of called months ago, actually, when the whole when when Texas OU left for the SEC, he kind of called what was going to happen next. And he's been predicting that it's not going to be five power conferences; it's going to be four, four super conferences that basically, like your NCAA tournament, for instance, basketball from a basketball perspective, isn't going to have mid majors anymore. If you're yeah, in the he- MAC. You're, you're out. That. He absolutely nailed that. That's coming much sooner than I originally expected. Exactly. And so when he when he's pointing out to the USC UCLA thing, and like like honestly, I I don't really my at first my feelings are like why would they do that? And I'm like actually this is kind of this is actually kind of cool. I actually kind of like the fact that you are going to see like Ohio State USC playing every year. Like that's a really cool matchup that you could potentially be seeing year in and year out. And you don't have to wait for USC to be good once every 10 years for it to happen. Right. Uh, but from like a, a perspective, how is that? I'm sitting there thinking like, how does that affect Cincinnati? Right. The Cincinnati mm-hmm. prism is where I'm curious. Like how do we, how are we evaluating this from afar? Cause when I first saw the news of UCLA and USC jumping, I sweat broke out. Like that's, that was my instant reaction was like, profusive sweating and uncertainty and anxiety about what this means. Does that mean that the big 12 is about to self-destruct already? Does that mean that this is all for naught? And we actually, you know, are the most unlucky university in the history of college athletics. Tell me, I don't know is how does it, how do I view it? I have calmed down since, but that's much of much to do with, with the analysis that you've given me uh, through phone calls and texts. Look, based off of the the stuff like from guys like John Skipper and a lot of these people I'm mentioning haven't specifically named UC by name or anything like that. It's just kind of like the way they're talking about conference realignment in general has me with a good feeling that I think that the school, we're in a really good position. I think the Big 12 
has the upper hand. And I know we're going to talk about the, the new commissioner, uh, Brett. <laughs> your Mac, your Mac, your Mark, your Mac, your Mark, your Mark, your Mark, Brett, your Mac. We're going to, we're going to get into talking about him, but you know, from where we sit, the big 12 is in a really good position. The media rates are coming up. We got a young, uh, not a young guy, but a younger guy at the helm knows how to do, you know, very, very in I mean, the know I, in terms of digital distribution, digital media, uh, alternative type of media situations. We got a Pac-12 that's now devoid of the Southern California market, more specifically Los Angeles. They don't have the, the third largest city or the second largest city in the country anymore in their footprint. You have schools desperately trying to leave. Brett, oh, Yormark, oh. Brett Yormark is 55 years old, by the way. Which is honestly, though, for like, I, I feel like that's youngish for when you look at the old heads that that run college football in general. I'm just busting you know, your balls. The only re- I think he, the only reason he doesn't have gray hair is because he doesn't have hair. It has less <laughs> for me. It has less to do with his age, more to do with the mentality. And we'll talk more about him specifically, maybe toward the end of the pod. I'm excited uh, by. Brett yeah, I'll, just, I'll we'll, give you the thesis. I'll give you I'll give you the rundown of why I think Cincinnati is in a really good spot. First, the Big 12. If the Big 12 pulls off the merger with the Pac-12 and say they take two teams, not, which I think that's a mistake. Merging. We can already, we, but that's already out there. They're not merging. Merging is not I know. happening. Okay. Uh, hear me out. I'm going through, I'm going progressive here. Okay. Two schools. I think that's, it's not really that good for the big 12. If they can get two to four schools, you get, you know, the two, maybe the two Arizonas, you get uh, Utah and you get uh, name, name another school, throw it in there. Either Colorado. way, Colorado, we have a, decent footprint in terms of states now that we're representing we're almost an actually true in the sense like you know almost coast to coast type of conference large footprint lots of uh lots of exciting matchups that could potentially happen in that and i just think from that perspective what we're hearing is that the tv rights for that package wouldn't be the worst but it's better than whatever the pac-12 could currently get right now and if the Pac-12 went to add someone like San Diego State and Boise, those two schools are not making up for missing the Colorado. So Cincinnati's fine in terms of the Big 12 is fine in terms of worrying about the Pac-12 devouring us and, and taking schools from us. The, the biggest fear that we have for the Big 12, right, is more expansion from the SEC, the Big 10, and even the ACC. But there's one well, thing that UC offers that most schools in our in these conferences don't and that's we're a brand new market to a lot of these conferences when they're looking to expand and what they're actually looking for right so if you're if you're the sec if you are the pac-12 the big 12 we're in ohio we're in a market that you do not have the only conference that currently has the market that we present that we provide would be the big 10 that's what you're saying Right. So look, Big Ten's never going to take us. I saw there were some odds out there, plus 1,500. That's free money for Vegas. Anybody who takes that is is dumb, right? It's not going to happen because it doesn't make sense. But from the SEC, go through the top uh, the top four schools listed there. And we know some of these have been, been heavily rumored. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Louisville, Baylor. Florida State, sure, they have the name brand. Maybe they will. Clemson, but John Skipper always points out they don't need Clemson. They don't need a Florida school. They have Florida. They have South Carolina. They have they have these states covered. Louisville, not happening. UK is too close to them. Why would I, they do that? I do. Here, let me push back a little bit on the Skipper take because I've heard now for months when Skipper comes on there on their radio show, 
and talks about markets and, you know, the value that Central Florida has being a Florida school, the value uh, that he infers Cincinnati to have because we're, you know, isolated in this Ohio market that, that several conferences don't currently have. Is there a blind spot that he has that overvalues our, our ability to bring you the Ohio market per se? Because I, I got nervous. There's two different conversations happening here. You're, you're, you're simultaneously saying that you're comfortable with the current Big 12 positioning that the Bearcats have. You're excited by Brett Yormark. You think that the conference is well positioned to strengthen itself rather than, than being consumed or eaten by the Pac-12. That's good. But then there's the other conversation of you saying that we might be a sexy fit for a conference like the SEC, which is a completely different conversation of. I said why Cincinnati was in a good position. Okay, this is true. <laughs> You're basically. I think we're. I think us as a school are, are in a good position because I think we're either in one of the conferences that's ultimately going to end up the fourth conference. The conference that's going to be devoured Bingo. is probably yeah. more than likely going to be the Pac-12. If the ACC gets raided and somehow they convince eight members to leave and the conference dissolves, then we're still in a conference that hasn't dissolved and is still, still members still have quality programming. So either way, I think Cincinnati is positioned well. All right. Here's, here's why I initially panicked when it came to the UCLA USC announcement going to the big 10. I, Instantly, my mind went to the Big Ten and the SEC are are going all in on the arms race to basically create a two a two conference system that the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma and the Big Ten responds by adding USC and UCLA. And now it's all systems go to creating a world where these two conferences are going to scale up to 20 teams and then. 30 teams and 32 teams. And then you, ex- there's a world where there aren't four power conferences anymore. There's two. And now we're in a position where we're in the big 12 and it's going to cease to exist the way we, we knew it before, because these two power conferences are adding and adding and adding. And now we're again, looking to get added and invited to the dance. And is that going to happen? That's why I had the panic when UCLA and, and USC get added since then, it does seem like we're, we're entering more. It's more likely we're entering a transitional period where we are going to settle it for power conferences. And so that leaves one odd man out between the Pac-12, Big 12 and ACC. And right now, it seems like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are best positioned. Do I have that right? Or am I wrong? Is it the, is it the Big 12 and the ACC? In, in my mind, and granted, this is all all 100% correct speculation, fact speculation. Uh, If you tell a lie enough, it becomes truth. Uh, The big issue with the ACC is that they do have the grant of rights and it goes through, I think, uh, 2036. That's a long time for a a school to say, all right, we're going to leave the ACC and we're going to go for Clemson to leave and go to the SEC and leave their rights on the table for the next 14 years. And if anybody thinks that that's not in the back of their minds, Texas and OU are not footing up a bill of $80 million to leave the Big 12 early. 
they're going to stay to the end of the contract because it's a lot of money. The ACC is also in a weaker position because they can't just go and renegotiate the TV deal that they have. And it's kind of where Pac-12 got themselves into trouble too, is that they, they negotiated themselves an extra long-term deal at a time where they thought they were getting a good price. But now that price is shown to be undervalued for the for the conference rights package as a whole. So the ACC, from that standpoint, is in one of the weaker positions. But because of that grant of rights, they're probably more stable long term because a, a, a school like North Carolina is not going to leave and leave their rights on the table and just have to pay everything to the conference for the next 10 years. So in order for that to really realistically work out, the ACC would have to dissolve. If the ACC dissolves the big 12 is still there. Now that's, that's a weird, that's a weird situation because the PAC 12, I don't, I actually don't think the PAC 12 is going to exist. I think they're going to be, they're shopping right now for their media deals. All the schools haven't signed any deals yet because they're waiting to hear the numbers. It's the smart thing to do, but they're going to get the numbers back. None of them are going to be happy with it and they're going to bolt. And I think Oregon and Washington are also sitting because they want to ultimately get that invite to the big 10. They want the Big Ten. So you're looking at Washington and Oregon, let's say, hypothetically, adding going to the Big Ten. You're seeing a, a combination of like Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, those four heading to the Big 12. So in terms of totals at that point, the Big 12 is sitting at 16 teams. The SEC right now has, has 14 teams. If you add Texas and Oklahoma, 16 teams. Yes. The Big Ten, what's their count at once you add Oklahoma or once you add UCLA and USC? Well, I had just looked this up the other day, and I can't, I can't remember. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely some schools that are going to get left out and, and not invited to the dance. You presented an extremely interesting conspiracy theory that had to do with, like, Fox Sports, Colin Cowherd, and... All right you know, like subliminal messaging and kind of like they're basically incepting the certain ideas into the lexicon. So to prepare people to sort of wet in the palate. All right. Colin Cowherd is a man who look when he's on By the way, let me tell the people, man's on right? when you were, when you were telling me the story on the phone, you were calling him Colin Cowherd. And I don't think you were saying that to be funny. You just kept calling him Colin. Yeah. Yeah. For a hundred percent. Um, <laughs> I forget what I've, I've called him a bunch of names uh, in my in my lifetime because like his takes sometimes like I think he he just goes out there and he like he's being you know what he feels from day to day and what he feels from day to day changes so vastly except for the his hatred of small market media like hates small market media we get it you think the Reds are the worst thing ever you know what you're right they are right now they're terrible but. Going back to this conspiracy theory that's kind of I've seen floated out there, Colin Cowherd loves the idea of USC, UCLA, right? He loves it. He's he, anybody you ask him, he will tell you, oh, this is great, great job. I love this. We, we, need, we need more of this, more, more, more money for my Big Ten overlords. And, and so he, he brought up something interesting on one of his recent podcasts where he, he didn't float the idea of expansion. He floated the idea of conferences trimming the fat of letting go or kicking out schools that aren't pulling their share in terms of what revenue they're, they're, they're contributing to the conference. 
and I, I thought that was interesting because the person who's bringing up some conspiracy theory is like, oh, well, this is Fox saying, you know, like he's hearing something, right? He's heard it through the grapevine. You know, your information funnel funnels down and, you know, shit rolls downhill. So he's picking up some of the shit that he's hearing and he says, yeah, you know, let's talk about that. Let's just let's just float this idea out there to get us used to it, to get us used to it for when one day when a founding member of the SCC, Vanderbilt, who is horrendous at football, they bring no value pretty much to the conference. And the SEC goes, yeah, you know what? I actually think we could get a better Tennessee school. They Let's bring cut Vanderbilt. They, they bring academic prestige, which has never mattered less. Never mattered less. Purdue, another stalwart of the Big Ten, trim the fat. You know, and I thought that was interesting because the more someone was getting into it, it actually was, it actually came up the way the system, if they did this, this is how you would design relegation in college sports. Yeah. You could which, do it, which, you could do it financially instead of, uh, instead of results on the field is the bottom three teams of every major conference. If you like, you get bumped down and the three highest grossing teams from the, from the outside, the group get bumped up. Hummer, it was a couple off seasons ago. I'm going to try and find it here on the fly. There's a podcast that would be an incredibly fun re-listen for people. We have, uh, I know which one you're talking about with Kevin Wallace, (laughs) with our buddy, Kevin Wallace, the, uh, the editor in chief of the post Cincinnati. He's expert, all things FC Cincinnati, but also has some very interesting thoughts and takes on college sports and, the professionalization of college sports and relegation promotion relegation. We all you know, ideas which are here in 2022, not far-fetched and the whole system is not necessarily collapsing in on itself. It's exploding into something new and less fraudulent in terms of how it's, how it's putting itself out there. These are no longer, you know, they're no long gone are the days of student athletes. Long gone are the days of amateurism. This is now a full-fledged, this is becoming a full-fledged, pure capitalism, capitalistic creation that's going to be about making money, billions of dollars. Um, And I think because of that, because of that, it does serve the Big 12 well to hire a guy like Brett Yormark. Because when I I read that Q&A that he did with The Athletic, the way that he said, I don't really have a history with college football. I don't have like this. He has no sentimentality when it comes to college football. He, why does he like taking on the opportunity? He mentioned the the beauty of, of, of student athletes in passing, but he threw it in there as like an afterthought. This guy took the big 12 deal because of deal-making. He took the big 12 deal because of the potential to wheel and deal and sign billion dollar contracts and be in the game. And I think, having a guy like that at the helm is going to serve the big 12 well. And it does put Cincinnati in a more, com- a much more comfortable position than we would have been 12 months ago, or than we would have been 18 months ago. Can you imagine uh, the prior prior to being in the big 12, how disastrous and catastrophic this would all feel had we not been in, in the big 12 at this point? Uh, we, we would all be losing our collective minds uh, over this deal we'd literally be wondering, well, well, crap, like, do we just get rid of football? And uh, that's blasphemous to say at this point, 
in UC's storied history here, but that that might be actually a realistic conversation people are having. I did get a kick out of this, though. I just got to bring this up before I forget because it's on my mind. The governor? Oh, I don't remember his name. It's not even worth remembering his name. The governor of Connecticut? Talking about, you know, Connecticut being like a power five where they'd be like, dude, dude, you guys just committed to like gut your football program to go back to the Big East. Like Ned, you cut Ned Lamont. You tucked your tails between your legs and said football doesn't matter, which you're right. It does not matter in the Northeast colleges in the Northeast. Don't like they don't, they don't produce recruits. Like it's just, it's just a thing. I think you can go look it up. There's like two division one football players that come from the state of Massachusetts. It's just, it's just how it works. Um, Sorry, UConn fans. That's just the the funniest thing I heard throughout this whole thing was like, yes, we should be in the SEC. Yes, University of UConn in stores, Connecticut, should be in in the SEC. The only thing you guys have in common with Tuscaloosa is that stores is a dry campus. I'm sorry. I completely got us off topic, but I am glad that you uh, (laughs) lambasted Ned Sorry, you lambasted Edward Minor Lamont Jr. for his uh, silly thoughts on UConn sports. Yeah, I got us off topic. All I was saying, though, is that I have never re-listened to it, but the Kevin episode, I'm sure would be a fun re-listen, but it's also reminding me that we're going to need to do like a late night Friday record where the three of us crack some mezcal and get the conversation flowing again on just thinking big about what college sports is going to become. Because even as we talk about it, you can see there's so many different pathways you can take. There's so many different angles. There's there's sort of the short term in terms of what happens over the next two to four to five years. And then five years and beyond is almost, it's not hard to imagine college sports transforming twice or three times in the next decade. I just think there's, there's so much sort of in flux that we're, it's going to com- look completely different in three years than it does again in, in six years and 10 years and 15 years. This thing is is rapidly changing. So I, I I'm going to say this, and this could be completely completely false because um, I haven't actually seen any of the numbers from any of the recent TV deals from the conferences. But I think the days of like 10, 15 year TV deals it's done. Those are gone. You're gonna they're gone. gonna want to do want shorter shorter duration ability to re- renegotiate on the fly, ability to be flexible, and that is going to allow for some crazy changes to happen. And I don't really think anybody except the people in the rooms who are making the deals at the TV networks and actually working with the, the presidents or the commissioners of school really know or have a sense of what direction it's going. I I just don't think there's anybody out there, whether I know there's a lot of well-connected people, but they're not breaking news right now. And it's, it's going to be those individuals who know exactly where this is going. And I guarantee you, they have it roadmapped out. They have their, their vision in their head. It's their mar their Disney marveling the shit out of this. We are in, you know, like get phase one was the breakup of the big East, right? Phase two, <laughs> phase two, we're moving into Texas OU and we're still phase two, you know, Part B is, is USC. So those are the, the stalwarts of the, the big pieces moving out. 
Phase three, Cincinnati. Phase three is absolutely oh, demolishing no. a conference is going to be demolished. I think you made the best point of the podcast, which is probably also going to be a good point to wind down on, but I want to drive it home a little more. The idea or the, the fact that they're going to move on from long-term deals with networks is, is dead on. It's spot on because the value of these live rates deals for college sports and, and the fact how fast it's growing, the value of it is increasing exponentially. And when you sign a 10-year, a 12-year, a 15-year deal with these networks, they instantly become bargains for the broadcasting networks uh, within two, three years. And so because they'll no longer lock themselves in for long periods of time, we're going to see ourselves exposed to chaos more and more frequently because every single time those rights deals are then being renegotiated, that is an opportunity to see schools and teams and programs shift around again. Am I reading that right? I think that's exactly, that's exactly what we're going to see. It makes, it makes too much sense because you hit the point, like if we want a good example it's like buying a house. You buy your house 10 years ago, you lock in inflation, right? Your, your salary should hopefully go up, which in, in effect has the effect of making your mortgage payments cheaper. Broad, broadcast rights, they, they sell them for 10 years out. By the time you get to year eight, what the network is actually paying for them was the price 10 years ago. So, I think you're done. I think it's done. I think you're going to see a lot of these shorter term deals like the big 10 that allows them to come and renegotiate here in a couple of years. Right. right. So why not add two big schools in the, one of the biggest markets in the U S that's going to add 80 to $90 million a year for, for a short term deal. And then they can go on, they can take a breather for a couple of years and see what schools make sense to add later. So you might get there at that point where we do get 20, maybe it is 2020 or 2036. The ACC is up for a renegotiation of their rights and you see half the conference bolt. Maybe, I don't know. We don't know. That's what I'm saying. I think the only people who know are the people in the room. On that note, plan. I think that's the perfect way to sign off. We don't know. But what I do know is it was really, really fun to get back on the podcast and talk to you and see your beautiful face. Um, let's start doing this often again. Um, it's going to look different. It's going to sound different. I think that both of us, I personally, I'm not going to speak for you. I personally feel reinvigorated after a three month break. I feel excited to bring people some of the same things that you loved about the podcast in the past. Uh, some of the same fun conversation and jokes and, uh, not taking ourselves too seriously that you get with the Cincy Slang and podcast. But I think there's some, uh, there's a tenor, there's a, level of transparent honesty and radical radical transparency when it comes to thoughts and opinions and takes that we can bring in the 22-23 season that I think will continue to be unique in the Cincinnati Bearcat community. Uh, but I honestly, you know, I appreciate everybody sticking with us, bearing with us as we uh, took our hiatus, took a vacation of sorts, but we are coming back stronger than ever. And I'm looking forward to doing it with you, Hummer. Yeah, same here. Pause. Just remember, all opinions are fact. All opinions are fact, unless those facts are false, in which case the opinions themselves are false. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good one, buddy. Cheers.